Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless. Hey everybody, hope you are doing well. Today we are gonna to start our three-part series on the atonement. Uh, if you go to our YouTube channel, you can watch about the 30-minute video we did on the atonement, but I thought it would be helpful if we really got into the nitty-gritty of this, broke it down. So this podcast in totality is probably about three hours long, but we're gonna split it into three parts. Uh, the first part is really going over all of the covenants uh, that got us to Jesus. And I think we get all the way up to the end of the Abrahamic covenant in this first one. So make sure to stay tuned for the next two. They're gonna be coming out uh, each week and uh, drop us a line, drop us a comment. Let us know how you guys feel about it. Hope to see you later. Peace. Hey everybody, we are back and if you're listening to this, you, we're probably in December. We're recording this a little early because we got some other podcasts uh, that we're releasing first, but happy December, happy, happy, wow, happer, happy, <laughs> what is it, probably two weeks till Christmas? Three weeks. Three weeks. Probably three. about three weeks. To um, Christmas. side note, if this is releasing on the day I think it's releasing, it's actually Lauren's birthday. Whoop, whoop. So should you be listening to this on December sixth? Sixth. Please be sure to send him a happy birthday note. Write it in the comments. Send him a little message. Find him on the face books. Send and him say some money. Happy yeah, birthday. I've been doing this thing for the past two years now where I post my cash app on my like socials does it work for you yeah people like i think last year i got like 75 bucks shoot dude and it's just people like five bucks here 10 bucks there and i was just like hey it's my birthday like the whole like oh happy birthday so that's i cool. can't send you a coffee for your birthday i have to step it up because i actually know you <laughs> no i mean that's cool. what i say i'm like hey here's my cash app if you want to buy me coffee that's all i've ever said and people shoot me like five bucks seven bucks ten bucks it's awesome that's awesome yeah because i think I'll a lot of people my 30th. i think a lot of people we're connected myself. to aren't in your like inner circles yeah, to yeah, actually yeah. be able to do your birthday so you know if they got an extra couple bucks that's... i mean if somebody sends me money for coffee best morning ever yeah. honestly yeah. so nice mm -hmm. yeah so i'm gonna do it again so you know if you're following me on social you know find my cash app shoot me, <laughs> shoot me some coffee money sing him happy birthday in spanish that's his favorite mm, see i want it oh. like can <laughs> i want it in like cantonese or something you got to go above and beyond if we're gonna sing happy birthday we I gotta like the get mariachi band when they sing it it's good but i've heard i've heard it but Being Mexican, I've heard it. Yeah, I need I need to go above French, maybe. French would be cool. I would also do like the really angry uh, German nurse. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a difference. There's yeah, like yeah, German, yeah. there's like angry nurse German. So what we've learned yeah. from this experience is that Lauren wants his birthdays to be said in different languages. Agreed. Yes. Diversity. Every year. It's key. Yes, yep. I believe in okay, diversity. Okay, cool. So. I will pick a new language this year. Anyways, so yeah, uh, if you've tuned in the past couple of weeks, you heard our special guest Brian that we uh, that I did a podcast with. Um, 
that was cool. That was interesting. If you liked it, let us know. If you hated it, let me know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so what I want to talk about today, and this is kind of funny because like we're going to be releasing this forward in time, but mm-hmm. as of now, what's today's date? The November 18th. 18th. So we're recording this at like mid to, you know, mid-November. Um, and we just put out the video. Uh, I can't remember what I called it, but it's our atonement video. It's yeah. actually the first yeah. one we've done. We've danced around it for the past couple of years now on the YouTube channel. Uh, but this is the first time we actually went deep into it. I'll say this. Um, so Christina's taking her master's right now. Mm. And you have to write papers. How, how often for your thing? Every week. Every week, right? Yeah. How long are your papers normally? like usually only a thousand words oh only okay cool so it's funny (laughs) because she was writing a paper at the same time i was writing the script for this atonement video and then i have an app on my phone um there's a little math you can do to know like how many words people on average speak per minute Mm -hmm. so once you write out your document you can pop it in and see how many words it is and you can get a guesstimation of how long it's going to be oh that's brilliant yeah uh so anyway um basically every one of these scripts i do is a roughly a 10 page paper and I can't remember how many words we said it was, but whatever a 10 page paper is, that's how many words. Yeah. Are we looking at like double spaced, 12 point font, Times New Roman? It's literally from my notes app. So I'm just <laughs> typing in one spacing to another paragraph. Like it's, uh, it's pretty dense. Yeah. So I think that's what people don't realize about this. Like I say it in almost every video, like I'm trying to make this shorter. I'm trying to make this shorter. But at the end of the day, like these are, I don't want to say they're like college level, you know, lectures because I'm not a professor by any means. But the work that goes into them, I do feel like it's a college level paper that I'm writing and doing research for. And it's a lot. So trying to condense down a 10 page theological paper into something that's less than 30 minutes, I've just found it impossible. But, you know, I think I speak for a good portion of your listeners. I can't speak for everyone um, that we appreciate that level of history and research and knowledge that comes to the table when we discuss these topics. Yeah. And I'm glad that portion of the listeners like it because there's a whole audience who doesn't listen to me who doesn't like it. Well, that's why they're not (laughs) listening. So cool. But yeah, I do think it kind of uh, weeds out those people who Mm -hmm. are. I hate to say it this way because I don't want to be judgy, but like, you know, the the typical 20 minute Sunday morning. Service. Yeah, they want fast food service on their theology. Well, I, and I don't want to be judgy, but I do think there there there's a, ugh, those group of people out there who just want like a quick, encouraging word from the Bible to get them through their week. And that that's fine. But that's not what this podcast is. No. And that's that's never what this channel has been about. And look, man, you know, I mean, our grandma loves Joel Olstein. I'm going to leave all my remarks about Joel out of this, but that's what that is, right? It's an, he gets her out of the bed in the morning. It's an encouraging word exactly. for somebody who needs a little pick me up, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to make a drugs joke, but I, I won't. I was going to say Keith Richards lives on yeah. these. <laughs> um, and, and I guess I would say there's nothing wrong with that. I, but I would say, I don't think if, if you think the Bible or God's word or whatever language you want to put to it is food if you would use that analogy mm-hmm. mm, i'm not gonna call it junk food but i'm gonna call it a snack yeah right it's a cliff bar right it's yeah. it's, what it's gonna gets, hold you over it, it's gonna hold you over but you can't live off cliff bars no. that i'm and i'm constantly trying to tell christina that every morning when i make her <laughs> breakfast she's like i'll just have a cliff bar i'm like you're gonna be hungry by 11 first of all if we're gonna talk about this in depth she doesn't eat lunch and that concerns me <laughs> so you do need to be eating a significant breakfast right i do right and you're teaching children so you know being, but anyway, I digress. The whole point <laughs> is kindergartners at that. I think there's a time for a cliff bar. Yep. Right. You're running mm-hmm. late to a meeting. You just got to pop something Sometimes in there. Sometimes you need a full steak broccoli potato meal. 
I think you need, I mean, I Salad don't know. Too. I don't Bread. know if this is like yeah. still legitimate in 2021. I haven't looked up any nutrition facts, but I mean, three square meals a day is good. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. get your nutrients, get your veggies, get your little complex carbs if you need them, but you can't live off cliff bars. And I think that's the whole point. Like, I think there's plenty of places, uh, whether it be in churches, online, YouTube or podcast where you can get that. Yeah. And I'm not going to judge you for that. Right. Um, but this is obviously different. So I say all that to say. The video was right, I think it was like 30 minutes and like 20 Mm -hmm. seconds. Like it was like right on the 30 minute mark. Um, And I, this is one of the first videos where I wasn't super happy with it. Not because I didn't do my research, not because, um, not because I I didn't feel like I did the source material justice. It was too much, honestly. But it wasn't something that I felt like I could split into two parts. There wasn't like a natural segue or pause where we could split the video up. So I did my best to cram 10 pages of information into this 30 minute video. Do you feel like the content was super heavy? It, what's funny is we all know what we're talking about. Like right. When we talk about Jesus, the cross and the atonement, right. we all have a surface level of that. I'm trying to take us down to like level 50 deep, yeah. you know, yeah. because I think we have to go there to fully understand what's going on. I make the argument in the opening minutes of the video that I would argue that most Christians um, issues with the Bible whether it be they have um, they're finding contention in some of the scriptures they're reading or just their misunderstanding and how they practice their faith. Honestly, I would say 90 to 95 percent of it stems from they don't actually understand what the cross was all about. And I think everything blooms from that as far as if you're a Christian. Now, if you're. Wasn't uh, that the foundational belief of where like our whole. Right. It is. Structure comes out of. It is. And, And I feel like, I mean. I know we grew up in churches where, you know, it's not uncommon to hear a sermon about Elijah or yep. or Daniel or whatever and, and or any of these characters. And that's great. There's good stuff to pull from that. But I feel like a church or a pastor will go, you know, 50 weeks of the year preaching on all these things. And then on Easter and Christmas, we might touch on the cross. I would say personally, we need to invert that. We need to really just dig into what the cross is, like like your times tables. You got to know that you know that you know them, like right. without thinking what happened on the cross, right. and then begin to apply all the other external stories to that. Right. Um, and I feel like because we don't do a good job of that in the modern church world, uh, a lot of people get confused in their faith, or mm-hmm. they get angry, or there's a lot of uh, people I know who've gone through their deconstruction phase, and they came out the other side not being a person of faith because there's too many contradictions right almost every time i let them air their grievances about their contradictions in the bible and scripture almost every time i'm not saying every time because there are some in there that that are tough and we can talk about as a later date but most of the time it's misunderstanding Mm -hmm. it's not a cut and dry oh the bible is contradicting itself they just don't understand the context the context and the history and all this other stuff and i get it man uh, so I feel like Christianity, at least modern pop culture Christianity, we've kind of failed like our society in that way where we really haven't gone deep enough. And as I like try to get off this rabbit trail, I think the reason is the same reason we've talked about this whole time. Uh, well, the same reason why there's a large audience who won't listen to our podcast or watch the videos. It's too much, or at least they feel like it's too much. It, it's it's not a cliff bar. But when you get your structure mm-hmm. from a church that sets you up for surface level religion when we talk about deep things like this of course you're not going to dive in because a it's going to be a little bit foreign to you and it's going to be 
it's going to be a lot. It's going to be heavy. And that's fine, but you have to start somewhere. So I think yeah. the church has really set us up for failure to really diving in deep, A, because they don't teach you how to study the word. We've been through this. And the church thrives off of you needing them to get your scripture in. Well, yeah. And I yeah. think there's also this idea in the Christian world that like, okay, as a average quote unquote Christian, you know, soccer mom, you know, business accountant, dad, like whatever we want to put to it, 2.5 kids, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the average White Christian defense. thinks I need to be a good person, whatever that means. Yep. I need to not sin in whatever I'm struggling with now. Um, but the deep theological stuff, I'm going to leave that to the, my pastor. Okay. I'm going to leave that to the theologian, right? Because I don't need to know, you know, and understand all of the Pauline letters to the to the tenth degree to be able to walk out my faith. I would argue that's not true. I think a big problem with why modern Christian culture is declining is because we actually don't know what it means to walk out our faith because we're uneducated in a lot of this. Um, and so, you know, I support that argument, but how do you shift that? How do you get an entire culture to understand? Maybe we don't understand as much of the Bible as we think we do. And maybe that's one of the core issues of why we're not, why we're losing people from the faith. Not even just losing people, but we're just being a bad representative, you know? And and I don't even mean just sin, because I think a lot of people think like, oh, yeah, you're right, Brother Lauren. Like, there's so much sin in the church. Brother and <laughs> obviously, like, people are going to mess up. I'm, and I'm not even talking about sin. I'm talking about, like, systematic things we do inside the church that don't make any sense when you compare it to the life of Jesus. Right. That only happens if you don't understand the life of Jesus. Right. That's it. And sure. so I think that's what all this comes down to. So... All of that being said, what I want to try to do here for the next however long this podcast takes is I want to take that video and I'll just kind of bounce around some questions, some thoughts from that. And I want to try to expand on some of these com- um, on some of the context of the video, because like I said, in 30 minutes, I went back and watched it. I emailed it or emailed. I messaged a couple people after I knew they watched it. And I, and I literally just said, like, was that? hard like yeah. was this too much <laughs> yeah and one of the responses i got i told christina was so funny it was like it, it was a lot i think you did a good job but it was a lot which was a nice way of saying like <laughs> i was i was trying to get it yeah <laughs> like, yeah um and i think just the medium may have been uh the main reason uh i, I feel constantly under this pressure it's like i feel like okay a 30 minute video will get me this much engagement a 20 minute video will get me even more. And if I can do it in 15, we Man, can do yeah, something. Yeah. The problem is that I have to, and I haven't done this yet. I've never compromised on what I would call quality. Um, but there is always this pressure to try to cram as much in there yeah. in a small package as possible. And I think I hit critical mass this last week. I think <laughs> I finally realized like, okay, this is the limit. I can't do this again because it was just too much. So Consider this podcast almost like a study guide or a companion piece to that video um, because we're really going to try to explore some things. So before we dive in, um, and I'll let both you guys answer, when you think of the atonement, what do you think of? Like, what is the atonement to you? Or even just the word atonement? Uh, Like being, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like having your sins forgiven, being atoned, being like fixed. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right words. Um, that's just the word, but I'm trying to think. I feel like I grew up in a like a combination perspective. Like he took our punishment. Like so, we sinned, so he took 
like I, I guess that's the word. Okay. Well, we were supposed to be punished, so he took the punishment. Right. And I'm trying to think what else. Um, I feel like piggybacking off of that. Um, the biggest thing is like knowing that it was Jesus who went on the cross. And when I think of atonement, I think of like the whole thing you see in Passion of the Christ, like that whole scene, the dramatic um, turn of events, and also the um, sacrifice that was given and why, right? right? Remind me, I want you to keep going, but yeah. remind me to talk about the passion in a little bit because okay. that plays a big part. And I didn't mention this in my video, but that's that's a good yeah, yeah, yeah. good liner. So atonement, like that that's really what, what we're hitting today. Okay, so atonement, uh, I don't know if this is Webster's. I just pulled up the, the definition. Oh, it's Oxford. Um, the official. The official. Is Oxford more official than like Webster's? I don't know. I don't know. It sounds British, so to me it sounds... Agreed. Uh, to make amends <laughs> or reparations. Yeah. Uh, another biblical, like in, I think it's, uh, I think it's blue letter Bible I saw it from, but, uh, in your concordance in your Bibles or external, uh, for a lot of people, um, it literally means to bring two parties back together. Uh, and another good biblical word for that is to reconcile. Like That's that. what atonement means. It means to bring two back together. Right. Um, so I can't remember I read this. Uh, but in one of the books I was reading talking about uh, Jewish culture and old Jewish law, the goal of a Jewish judge, now I'm not sure if they called them judges back then. I know we have judges in the Bible, but uh, you know, on a local level, right? magistrate, whatever you want to call them. The goal, if you and Christina were having a dispute, maybe, um, you know, she, she sold you, you know, uh, a pig. Well, you wouldn't eat pigs. You're Jewish. She sold you a cow. <laughs> I'm very proud of you for catching that. <laughs> yeah. She sold you a cow. And then like three weeks later, the cow died from like some disease. Right. You would say, uh, you sold me something that was not legitimate. I gave you all my money and I, I got zero out of it because the cow got sick almost immediately after I had it. Now, whether it was her fault or not, you would feel that she's uh, financially liable, right? You yeah, I'm gave... gonna call our customer service department. You're gonna give right. me a refund. <laughs> so let's just say you gave her a hundred dollars for that cow. You feel like you've just wasted a hundred dollars, and now you got to bury the dang thing, right. right? So what you would do is you would take her to Jewish court, or whatever they called it. What the judge or the magistrate would do on a local level, the goal was not to punish Christina, and the goal was not to award you for damages. The ultimate goal in Jewish law of what a judge would do is to bring two parties together. That was the ultimate goal is to make sure that your relationship was reconciled at whatever the judgment was. Right. That was the ultimate goal. Now that's way different than our legal system today. Right, right? It's course. all about damages and punishment and who goes to jail and who sues and who gets what. That was not the traditional Jewish way of thinking about settling disputes. It was always, how do we make sure these two parties reconcile as best as possible? Right. Um, so it's, it's a completely different thing. So when we talk about the atonement, it's the same idea as old Jewish law. The idea is how do we bring these two parties back together to where it's beneficial for both? Um, so when we move on to the atonement, we move on to the cross, give me your, you know, your elevator pitch on what the cross was. In, in as little as many words as you want to. If you're just trying to explain to somebody who doesn't understand Christianity, who and somebody's like, okay, I, I've heard about this guy, Jesus, and a cross. Why? Tell me why. Okay, uh, I can go. Um, I, the cross. Okay, basic principle is we were 
how do I say this? Flesh is sinful. So we were damned for lack of better words to have a sinful nature. And because of that, it separated us from the relationship and love, the relationship with God directly. Um, so in order for that to be reconciled, I guess that's a good word. Um, Jesus came down and as his son is a perfect, um, being in human flesh lived a life and he gave himself as a perfect sacrifice in place of our sins separating us from God. That way we could have that close relationship and spend eternity with him. And it was all because of our sinful nature and he sacrificed his perfect nature for all of us out of love. Okay. Go for it. I mean, what do I say after that? Yeah, I mean, like, just, I mean, even if you want to, like, just piggyback or, like, you know. Literally just just separation, not separation. Like, Like that's what the cross is. Separated, and now we're not. That's it. Kindergarten. That's what's coming out right now. Okay, so let's dig into this a little bit. Let's kind of, like, pull the hood open here. Okay. Why were we separated? Because of sin. Okay. So, when did that start to happen? Uh, Garden of Eden, yeah. Okay, so what does it mean? Uh, I'm just gonna kind of prod. That's at fine. You here. I think I know. What does going. it mean to be separated from God? Does that mean I, I don't like? Does separated mean you're going to hell? Let on the on the uh, general idea that there's a heaven and hell, good people go there, or you know, if you believe that sin separates you from God in the sense of your eternal life has now been chosen because of the sin, then yes. But if you have the belief that your sin doesn't separate you from a relationship with God anymore. Rather, it just distanced you because of the, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? The the error of your ways or the guilt or whatever you want to say you feel because of now making a mistake. Um, I guess that's where the separation comes in. Okay. Do you have anything to piggyback on that? Mm-mm. Okay. So did Jesus come back to give us righteousness? Righteousness just means right standing with God. Yes. I feel like there's a load of trick questions coming. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm throwing well, different I'm angles at you. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's no wrong or right answer. I'm just trying to get us to kind of like mind map this for a second. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he came to give us the opportunity to have direct relationship with God, right? You can't get through the Father without going through the Son, and I think that's just giving your life over to him and accepting that he did do that on the cross. So what about <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> so what about before Jesus? You know what happened when they were sinful, right? So let's call it from the moment Adam and Eve stepped out. Not even sin. The moment that Adam and Eve stepped outside of the garden, and now humanity's I feel figuring like this it is out. a Sunday school quiz, and I'm not prepared. <laughs> but no, I think it was sacrifice, right? Well, Animal they, sacrifice. Well, so okay, so they stepped out of the garden, and then you have all that time. You have Abraham, Moses, David. You have all that time, thousands and thousands of years until you get to Jesus. My question is, what was the relationship between man and God before Jesus showed up? It was very, um, gosh, I always use this word. What is it? Uh, it, it, Like, you do this, you have to do that. Like Contractual. Yeah, a contractual agreement. Yes. When was the contract struck? When... I feel like he's setting me up. I am. I'm totally okay, okay. setting you up, but I want you to think like process through okay. this. So, when so, Jesus died on the cross and... No, no, no. We're talking about pre-Jesus. Okay. You said there was... When there was, was it set up? When was the contract about sinning and punishment and like sin... When was that set up? 
okay, I feel like I'm going to need a helpline here because I don't know at what point they started sacrificing <laughs> in reference to their sins. I mean, Abraham was sacrificing animals. Right, but like when did he fall into line? Like were, were Adam and Eve doing it? Did they still have a relationship with God after they got kicked out of Garden of Eden? I don't know. I feel about like that the Bible doesn't tell me about that. <laughs> no, I don't think. Are you going to answer this question for us? For sure. Okay. <laughs> I just like hearing you guys try to work it out. <laughs> He's just laughing at us. I hope you guys know this. Okay, so I'm just going to try to nail it down for you really quick. Okay, okay. Contractually speaking, and I'm using that as a very clinical term. Yes, here. yes, yes. Contractually speaking, the idea of sin and death did not kick in until anybody want to take one final last guess? Of sin, sin and, and death. death. Well, they, Adam and Eve were supposed to live for an eternity until she, till they right. gave into the temptation and now their life was marked with an end game. Am I wrong? Sure. But why got, why didn't God just smite them right there? Right. Because he loved them enough to let them keep living okay. and he gave you the freedom of choice. <laughs> sure. I know where you're going with this and I don't appreciate sure, it. Sure. But if the wages of sin are death right, and right. they walked out and not only did they walked out, he clothed them and not only did he clothe them and you could say... I wouldn't say he cursed them. You could say they brought the curse upon himself. But if you remember, right before he kicks them out, he gives Eve the promise. Oh. And he says, one day your seed will crush Satan. So there's a little pat on the butt walking out too, you know, a little cheer up. Good game. I mean, it sucked for a long time, but it wasn't death, right? Now, I understand we're talking about two separate things here. What happened in the garden? Yes, there was a spiritual death that happened, but they brought that upon themselves. That was not a punishment. That's what they brought on to themselves, right? Right. It was just black and white. You sin, sure. this is what you get from it. So, anybody want to take one more shot? Oh, my gosh. When was it contractually sin and death? Contractually. That's the key word here. Was it when the when Moses ascended the mountain and asked for the Ten Commandments and came down with all the laws from God? You want to jump in on that? before? That we... was my next okay. guess. 100%. Yes! Okay. So, contractually... <laughs> The law, that's what we're going to talk about. The law was the contract that said when you mess up, when you commit adultery, when you uh, murder someone, any of these 10, when you do that, the punishment is death. That's the contract that they signed up for. My question is, now we've shortened the time frame a little bit. Yeah. A considerable amount. I mean, thousands of years. <laughs> Only a couple thousand. Out of the garden to Mo Moses. Moses. Okay, so what's the relationship before Moses. That's what I was just going to ask. So where, when did they start sacrificing? Well, we have to ask, like, because sacrifice is not a blanket thing. Because sacrifice doesn't all... And we're going to walk through I this. I feel like I only know one version of sacrifice. Probably you pick your law. best lamb, you walk up to the mountain, you pray, you give it away. And by give it away, you know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> so let, let's just run through this really fast. So This is like a Sunday school version. I'm sorry. I'm going to back up a little. We're going to get back to that because okay. that's a critical part. But I'm going to back up. I'm going to tell you right now, the atonement, there's three main views on it. Okay. Uh, I don't expect you guys to know them because they're super nerdy theological things. So I'm just going to run through them really fast. I'm for just you. proud of us for knowing about Moses. I'm <laughs> actually going to run through these. There's only three, but I'm okay. going to run through them in chronological order. Okay. The date they, you know, or when they were actually thought up or whatever. Yes. Uh, so the first one is called Christus Victor. That literally just means Christ, Victor. the victor, the victorious one. Uh, and for the first thousand years or so, this was not only the dominant, it was almost the exclusive view of the cross from all early theologian church fathers. This is what everyone believed for the first thousand years Before of church Before they knew history. that Jesus was coming down. No, no, no. This is after Jesus died. 
Oh, okay. We're talking about early Christian history. Got it, got it, got it. So after Jesus died for about a thousand years, this was almost the exclusive belief system. I, I'm sure it's out there. I couldn't find any actual theologians. I heard people talking about it, but I couldn't find any actual early church fathers disputing this claim. Okay. So I, they may exist, but I couldn't find them. Okay. So um, the general idea is that God created mankind to have authority and dominion over the earth, right? Yes. We see that in the garden before the fall. Yep. All you got to do is tend the garden, name the animals, and life is good. Right. You have dominion. And then to spread the borders of the earth that or the, of the garden. That was the whole plan. Man would keep expanding the garden until heaven consumed earth. That was the whole plan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Adam and Eve messed it up. So uh, mankind was tricked by the serpent and lost their authority to the evil one. Are we tracking with that, right? Yep. Okay. So then Jesus, being sinless, went through the same trials and tribulations as all men, but remained sinless, giving his body as a sacrifice, going to the grave, taking back the keys of death, setting the captives free, and returning authority back to humanity through the cross. Uh, and if anybody wants to look this up, Luke 22, 29 and Matthew 16, 19, those are good reference verses for, for those couple of things I talked to. Um, does that track? Does that make sense? Any disputes? Any? Okay. So that's only one view. Let's jump to view number two. The second view is called satisfaction theory. Now I'm going to give a little spoiler alert here. My personal opinion is I would say in the evangelical world, we have a mix of all three of these. Sounds about right. So, but I'll show you why that isn't even possible. In a, in a little bit. Having a combination doesn't work. It, it has to be one. So let's jump to the second one, satisfaction theory. This didn't pop up until around 1100 AD. So you have quite a bit of Christian history happening before this point. Uh, a guy named Anselm, he was the Bishop of Canterbury. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I didn't study this point exclusively, but at that time, uh, the English church world um, was the dominant church sounds about right and so the bishop of Cam- canterbury wasn't like the pope but he's pretty dang close yeah very high up Head honcho. um yeah and so when he talked when he had theories people would listen and take it to heart so arguably his most um popular theory was satisfaction theory um after much study anselm came up with a theory about what happened to the cross this theory is known as satisfaction theory It focuses on the sin that man had acquired through the fall to the time of Jesus. Rather than Jesus coming to establish man as God's chosen people and give humanity back the keys of authority. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So Anselm is saying 1100 years later that sin was the the main issue that needed to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And it wasn't so much about giving the keys of humanity back for their own authority mm-hmm. under God. It was about dealing with all this yucky, nasty sin that was in the world. Um, so Anselm focused more on the sin that was in man uh, than he did the relationship with God. Um, his, I can't remember if this is a direct quote or not, but basically uh, the idea is that God had been dishonored so much by our sin for so long, Jesus had to come back to give honor to God again. That's kind of the whole idea here. When did that one kick in? What do you mean? Oh, that's the whole general idea. That's not the third theory. No, that that's the whole general idea that we dishonor humanity dishonored God so much with our sin that Jesus had to come back to honor God again. So once again, I, I understand the impulse. It is putting God deserves all the glory. God dissolves, deserves all the honor. We say these things all the time. Anselm kicks this up a step and said that was the main reason Jesus had to come back to re-glorify God because we had dishonored him for so long. Um 
Okay, go ahead. Okay. So we're going to jump to the third and final view. This is piggybacking off satisfaction theory, which was the second one. Okay. This one is called penal substitution. Penal just being another word for penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sub- the, you know, the substitution for the penalty. Uh, in the 1500s, uh, our boy John Calvin presented the idea um, that sin dishonored God and sin deserved punishment. So Calvin is really... So satisfaction theory said we dishonored God. Jesus had to come back to re-honor God. Right. Calvin's theory of penal substitution said that, yes, we dishonored God, but all that dishonored would actually building up wrath and punishment. Jesus had to come back to absorb that in our place. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's what Calvin now, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who do or don't know, listen to the podcast, Calvin is Calvinism. Yeah. It is reformed theology. You yeah. will find this in a lot of your Presbyterian churches. I believe Lutheran churches. Um, it's out there and I pretty sure I haven't checked stats post pandemic, but as of the last time I checked, it accounts for about 50% of modern Christianity. Reform theology is big just because we didn't experience it a lot when we grew up. It's out there. It's, it's big time. I mean, think of how many Presbyterian churches you pass driving all the time. Yeah, absolutely. All of those are reformed. Wow. Mind blown. So, uh, this theory Penal substitution uh, was the greatest departure in history from what the early church believed. That first theory, um, this is probably the biggest jump away from that. Uh, the basic idea that sin had grown so great in the world and humanity was so sinful that God's wrath had to be appeased. There was wrath. Something had to take care of this wrath. Um, Can I just throw in a quick comment? Go for it. It just sounds like so many people believe that because it was fear-based. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Absolutely. Rather than God pouring his wrath on humanity, he chose to send Jesus down and take all of the wrath that humanity had built up against itself. Jesus took our punishment so that we could go free. That's the line that I think catches a lot of people. Jesus took our punishment so that we could go free. If I said that in almost any church in America right now, I'd probably get an amen. Yeah. Jesus took our punishment so that we could go free. Just keep that in in mind. Go free, though? But what about the relationship that he restored? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I have a lot of comments here. Sure, sure. Uh, So this wasn't, and and here's the contrast. This wasn't forgiveness of sins, but rather justice being served, uh, not to man, but Jesus in man's place. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on about Calvinism. Uh, and, and other things he believed. But that's the basic idea. So those are your three. So you start off with the early church who believed that Jesus came back to restore humanity and give uh, authority back to humanity that they lost in the garden. Just okay? authority. Uh, in relationship. Yeah, it was, okay. it was both. Okay. But, it, but it wasn't about sin. That wasn't the main focus. The no. main focus was about restoring. Back to what we were originally Back given. to what we were created to be. Okay. The second one, substitution theory, basically says that uh, we dishonored God so much that um, Jesus had to come back and um, die to give Jesus or to give God back the honor. Right. Okay. The third one takes another step and says, yes, God was dishonored, but in his dishonorment, there was wrath building up against humanity. And Jesus came back to take that wrath so that we could be set free. Now, if you're listening on the podcast today, you may be totally confused. And this is why I said it was a lot trying to put this in a 30 minute video. None of this surprises me. (laughs) 
I can, I don't know about you guys, chime in here. I've heard a mix of that my entire life. All of life. them. Yep. All of it. Yep. Bits and pieces, never in that much detail. I never knew that it was three separate theories. It sounds like people have just been mixing them together to make whatever looks pretty. But the problem is anybody who's hardcore into any one of them would be appalled that you tried to mix them. Right. But we're such a mutt, like a mutt of Christian theology right, right now. Right, right. We've mixed them and we've done it in a way that sounds elegant and mm-hmm. we've done it in a way that sounds so right. Palpable. Sure. And, and and you're right. I think we some of this made it. It jumps on, it piggybacks on that fear-based mentality. Absolutely. So those are the three main ideas. Knowing what you know now, just off those three, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. growing up in Christianity, if you had to pinpoint like how it was preached to you, not how you necessarily understand it now, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how the cross was preached to you, like give me a quick summary of like your youth group sermon what was the pitch? What did Jesus do on the cross? Because, right, we have to start pitching this pretty early in, in Christian lives. Maybe we dabble a little bit in kids' church, but I guarantee you by the time you're in middle school, oh, middle or high school, school 100%. definitely middle school group, yeah. you're getting this. So in middle school, what was the idea? Like, what were they pitching? What What was the cross about? I think I got a mixture of the last two. So I can vividly remember, like, Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, so... You wouldn't be addicted to porn. Good, good example there, right? Yeah. So that you can be free from that addiction. And then there's the other one of um, you have to make yourself right with God. Um, and that's what Jesus came down and did. And if you don't, then, you know, you're not going to make it to heaven, right? But that's why Jesus came down on the cross to give you the opportunity to walk out of that sinful lifestyle. Yeah. A if, mixture of the last two. If I could pin it down just in like one quick statement, how I feel like the cross was pitched to me, Jesus died so you didn't have to go to hell. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's better. That's, Way better. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. obviously, there's a lot of wrapped into yeah, that, but yeah, I yeah. feel like that was kind of the main thing for me. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. Did they really unpack that for me as a middle schooler and high schooler? Maybe little bits and pieces, but it wasn't until I started getting older, maybe high school or college group level that I felt like that was explained better, but in one of those last two theories. Right. And that in that there was punishment or that right. God was angry or that our sin deserved death. You know, all of those yeah. things. I'll let you jump in. Give me your middle school what was the pitch? Um Yeah. I All of the above. Yeah. So your sins are forgiven so you don't go to hell. Yeah. Um uh, and I'm, I I feel like I don't know if this was just youth group, but um, I do remember the phrase like he conquered death and like like kicked down the door and like <laughs> like that kind of thing. I feel like that was really big where I where I grew up about him conquering death, but apart, but also with um, the third one taking the punishment for us. Right. right. So like right, right, right. being yeah. a conqueror, but also like literally they're like he took all the weight of like, you know what I mean? The sure, world sure. and every bad thing and um. I yeah. would say even in my past two weeks of like going full nerd on this, like I've went nerdier on this than I have Dune in the past six months. <laughs> and I went n- hard nerd okay. on Dune. We could go on a whole podcast about that. Yes. But secondly, just to prove this, if you guys could see his hairstyle right now, <laughs> you would this know. Is, this is my Atreides. <laughs> sorry, that, sorry that you guys. For all those who don't know what Dune is, I apologize. For those of you who like Dune. You should you. know Good what Dune is. Anyway, it's such a deep rabbit hole. I don't want to get stuck Five there because I will. I will dive all Five out of ten. Eleven out of ten. Anyway, so <laughs> moving forward. I'm more excited about the Ghostbusters tomorrow. That sounds fun, too. 
So moving forward, we we have a general idea of what was pitched to us. We just saw the three basic theories. Now, after that third one, which was a 1500s, yeah. we may have added little bits and pieces, but there has not been another dominant. A few sprinkles on top. Right. There has not been another dominant view of the cross since then. So I'm, I'm just thinking of a lot of things that probably have spun out of that. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, but nothing has predominantly changed come out and stood on its own it's yeah. all been tacked on to one of those three yeah so that means for 2100 years and so, wait wait wait, wait or not 2100 1100 1500 what year did you 1500s say? well what i'm saying is from from the day <laughs> jesus died from the day jesus died till now that's when you have all of that time for church theology and we've still only landed on three mm-hmm. that's okay. where we're at cool beans. not to say not not negative or positive but what that tells me is since the 1500s, we haven't come up with anything better. So it's got to be one of these three. Unless we've totally missed something. It's got to be one of these three. Uh, so let's dive into. So what I want to talk about here, um, how do we explore this? How do we find out out of those three, which one is accurate? Um, it's a pretty common phrase. You probably heard it before. But the best way to interpret the Bible is to use the Bible, right? We can read our theology books. We can hear the sermons, but the best thing to do if you want to try to find out if something in scripture is valid or if what you believe in scripture is valid, you have to weigh it against other scriptures. I think for me, the biggest thing that sticks out is what is your belief in God? What do you think his nature is? Because I think that tells a lot about your view within these three pieces. Sure. But the problem is, how do you get to that conclusion other than I feel like? Well, you get to know God through scripture, like you said. But I think for me, that would be a huge deciding factor. Just hearing those pieces told me exactly where I needed to be on all three because I know God to be of a certain nature. So... What I want to do real quick, and we'll just blow through these really fast, Fine. is I want to show you in three different places in scripture, Old Testament specifically, on how we can weigh what the cross was versus three different places in the Old Testament. Now, Paul, in his letters, mentions this a couple different times. He uses the phrase types and shadows. Have you guys heard that before? I it's an never actual, did until It's an you actual said quote from Paul. Paul uses it. I don't think I wrote it down here. Maybe I did. Paul uses the phrase types and shadows. All that means is... Things in the Old Testament were foreshadowing things that were coming in the New Testament. I think we knew that. So we can take, okay, little rabbit trail here. One of my pet peeves as far as preachers go is taking Old Testament stories and trying to yank meaning out of them. Like, well, Daniel did this that one time, and that means we need to be like, I'm like, come on, that is paper thin (laughs) preaching to me. But also what covenant are we living under? That's my biggest thing. Sure, sure. But as far as just yanking stories out of the Old Testament, which so many charismatics do this and just try to apply meaning on top of it. Yeah, or or not only that, you know, and, you know, (laughs) David chopped... I knew you were going to say that. David chopped the head (laughs) off of Goliath at the end of the battle, and that means... threw a rock at his head and the cucumber fell. That's true. But David (laughs) cut the head off of Goliath at the end, and that means, brothers, that we have to cut the head of our giants that are standing... You get Again, what I'm, I'm going back to what <laughs> testament are we living in? Which well, one currently? Anyways, I'm just trying to make the point trail, that sorry. I think a lot of times in charismatic Christianity, we go back to these stories and we're trying to draw meaning. But we out. don't live in the Old Testament. Well, that's, that's what drives me nuts. I don't think it's wrong to preach the Old Testament, but I think you have to use it in context. We have right. to understand what these stories are there for. I don't necessarily think that these stories are there for like, OK, here's a great example. And this may tick off the ladies listening or you guys here. <laughs> The story of Esther 
is not written as a feminist champion piece for 2021. <laughs> First of all, that's my favorite book in the Bible. That's fine. But you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That these things were not, the, these stories don't just exist for us to Why try to draw answer? meaning because it seems like low hanging fruit. Yeah, that's it does. Why. Thanks. Um, but <laughs> Thanks I, I mean, that. it could be anything, you know? Um, so I think I have an issue when charismatic Christianity does that because I think some of these stories are so rich and so deep because of what they're pointing to, if that makes sense. These stories. What they actually mean versus what you're preaching. Well, not just what they mean, because there's two different ways to read it. You can read the story for the story. Right. Surface level. Well, and almost just like a historical account. Fair. This is what happened. This is, you know, um, but then you can also read the story and saying, what is this pointing to? And that's what I don't feel like a lot of charismatic preaching gears towards. They want to try to draw meaning from the story itself in a bubble rather than saying, here's the story and it's actually pointing to the new covenant. And here's how. Now, why don't we do that? Because it takes hours and hours to really get the depth and meaning well, out of this. People want like... Fast they food. want the cliff well, box. It's selfish. Right. Like every less every message is about how it can help you. Sure. You. Sure, Everything's sure. about you. Right, right. And how do I draw meaning from this one story in the Bible so I have a better week, right? Right. Not yeah. necessarily pointing some bigger. So I digress. Let's go through three quick stories really fast. Um, just to try to give us because what Paul's talking about is types and shadows. We're talking about stories that we all know that we're pointing to Jesus and or the cross or both. So the first one. Uh, and I'm going to toss it to both of you guys and just give me your quickest rendition of these stories as you can. And then we'll try to run through it. Give me your quickest rendition of Abraham and Isaac in the mountain. <laughs> just so. as, as you know, uh, Bible, <laughs> okay. Bible school, Bible study. I'm just or thinking like, of like the felt board side note with the people ooh, on it. Is that's any, old school. I know, yeah. guys. Are you impressed? Um, anyways. So, uh, he is like, Hey, let's go for a walk or whatever. He like gets his kid <laughs> and have you seen, there's a comedian that's like, we're going to barbecue him. Ah, have you seen that one? No. For anyone who's seen it, look, it's hilarious. I'll show it to you later. Anyways. So I feel like Abraham was just like, Hey dude, we got some stuff to do. Come with me. It's on me and God. And they like went up to the mountain and I feel like as someone who has had children in her life that she loved, that had to be a really hard walk for Abraham. That's just me. Side yeah. Um, they get up to the mountain. He does his thing. At what point, I wonder, does he explain to Isaac that he's about to become barbecue? I don't know. Um, but at some point, God stops him, and he appreciates the obedience that he was walking through, obviously. That's yeah. what I kind of understand from that story. Okay. Um. I'm trying to remember what I used to think because I feel like Did my he tell his wife perspective I need to know that part. I don't know. You know, that's a good question. I, I didn't actually look into that. My assumption, and I could totally be wrong here. So if you guys want to go back and read this. I feel like he didn't. Uh, I don't think he told anybody. I think it was just between him and God. And he's like, hey, come on, we're going for a walk with Isaac. But okay. can you imagine something more? Can you imagine like they come back home and the mom's like, "Hey, how was how was Isaac crying?" He's like, "Uh, dad." Dad tried to sacrifice me. That would be an awkward dinner for a while. Like, never go on walks with your dad again. (laughs) (laughs) We need to. We need to. um, Isaac, can you go outside and play for a minute? Me and your dad need to have a little little talk. What were you thinking? (laughs) Anyway. 
No, uh, back in the day, she was probably like, "Okay, that's what you." Well, she had know. her God moment later. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, once again, <laughs> somebody who's super familiar with the story could tell us, like, if she sorry, had already yes. had her yeah, God moment. Sure. Right, right, right. Um, but I know she has it later, and it's a big deal. But yeah. anyway, so give, sorry. Give me your quick or what you used to know. Felt board version, please. Felt okay. What I used to know. Um, yeah, took him up to the mountain, and he like about to kill him he's almost there the knife's almost touching his face and then um god provides a ram mm-hmm. it gets caught in the bushes thicket a thicket yeah and then they're like oh god provided it for us wow i love that now we out. don't have to kill you yeah brilliant he cool. is the provider so let me just throw some quiz questions at you guys real oh, fast Oh no. so okay this one it sounds really how do you simple. think isaac's mental health was after that sorry go ahead <laughs> Yeah, I think in the moment, like, I mean, uh, for us now, thousands of years later, like, looking at the whole story, like, it makes way more sense. But, like, putting it in, like, like that, small that context, moment, yeah. like, it's like, I don't know what I would have thought. I think I would have given yeah. it Benadryl first. Like, mm. um, So, all right. Quick quiz questions. Okay. okay. They're going to sound simple, but they're really important. Okay. Why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? I feel like the answer is because he had to test his faith. And this was part of the Old Testament before the New Covenant. And knowing his relationship with Isaac was probably the most valuable. So he had to test to see if Abraham would choose God over his relationship with his son. I feel like that's what I've been Mm -hmm. taught. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So why the sacrifice, though? Like, why the, why the, the, the murder? Because he was the perfect lamb, right? No? No? Well, it's like the ultimate, Sacrifice I don't know. Yeah. To give your offspring. Is something you care about the most. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's fair. I think that's a good answer. So we know that when the Moses, when the Mosaic law came around, sacrifice was instituted as um, for forgiveness of sins, right? Okay. So let's go back to Abraham now, because this happens way before Moses. Why did there need to be a sacrifice? Was well, there sin is what you're saying. Right. Let, yeah. Let me aim it in that direction. Was Abraham sacrificing Isaac in lieu of sins? Wasn't there some sort of, you'll have to forgive me if I'm wrong for anyone who's listening. Wasn't there some sort of like understanding that you had to regularly sacrifice for your family's salvation or whatever you want to call it? Um because of the nature of human flesh and whatever that like you had to buy like much yeah. later that was yeah. much that later. was mosaics okay. Yeah. okay okay yeah 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 so in this at this point in time sacrifice is not a thing it is but not in the way that the mosaic covenant viewed it okay not as ritualistic as we know it well not well yeah not as ritualistic but also like what it meant and why you would do it so realistically we have no idea what was going on at this point is what you're telling me we don't know why we do. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, want, you want to give it a shot? <laughs> we do. Oh, what was the question? Uh, the question was, why did Abraham have to sacrifice Isaac? Was what, there a sin? Uh, maybe, was it in yeah. lieu of sin? Did I feel like it was just a faith test. Did, I could be wrong. Did they try? Well, obviously, wait. So this is after Isaac was born. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking about all the things. Yeah, I would say sin. I don't know what else it would be. I don't know if it was necessarily sin. I think it was a test of faith. Right. Okay. So 
spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read the story yet, there was no sin. Well, there was no sin that God was holding over them. Not to say they were perfect, but there was God wasn't saying, I need you to do this because you've built up sin. Okay. Right? So that's not what the sacrifice was. To, to say it plainly, the sacrifice was a test. Now, you'll have some deconstructionists, some atheists, some agnostics that'll say, that sounds really jacked up. Yeah, You're okay. saying that God wanted to test him by killing his son? That's fair. Totally fair. I mean, it sounds crazy, right? Right, like, right. Totally right. fair. So let's let's paint a little historical account here. Okay. During that time, and I could have done more research on this, but I didn't have enough time to plug it into this video. So anybody can feel free to take the next step and do this research. During that time, there were other tribes of people who worshipped other gods, what we would probably call pagan gods uh-huh. today. Okay. During that time, it was not uncommon at all for... Uh, those people to sacrifice their children, maybe not their firstborn, but children, children, innocent blood, virgins, all the stuff you hear about in like all the crazy like Indiana Jones, you know, tribal stuff. Why is it going to be Indiana Jones? Because that's what they do. Okay. So <laughs> all that stuff, that was very commonplace for those who did not worship the God of Abraham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what a lot of historians and theologians have surmised is that now we is are... Culturally sound? Yes, yes. This is historically. Like we, we know that this happened. Okay. Where we have to take a little bit of an assumption here, because the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us this, is that God may have been contrasting himself to the other gods being worshipped that time. It would have been very common for Abraham to go to the marketplaces to interact with all these other people worshipping all these other gods. Hey, where's little Bobby? How's he doing today? Oh, I had to kill him for Cthulhu last week, you know, because so that that would have been... (laughs) A common understanding, culturally speaking, back then. So what a lot of strong no from me. What a lot of theologians surmised is that God may have been trying to contrast Himself to what the other gods were requiring Mm. from their people. So what God does is He said, "Okay, let's test Abraham's faith. I'm going to do something crazy, and I'm going to ask him to do something that he sees all these other crazy." other religion but why would doing. god feel the need to compare himself to other gods that he knows are not real it's not about god being insecure it's about him contrasting himself to a culturally similar situation for abraham's sake you got to imagine like abraham seeing the landscape of all these other people who may have money who may have more livestock you know and they're worshiping their gods so what god may have been doing is contrasting himself here Except the moment Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, God's like, whoa, 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 I'm actually not that guy. I just wanted to see if you still believed in me. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy, but to me, that's the only logical thing that makes sense. Because other than that, we just have God asking him to do it because. Honestly, talking about this now, 29 years old versus Sunday school, this (laughs) sounds like a really insane Bible story. Oh, it totally is. Like, I feel like there are things we don't know. Right. And that's why I'm saying this is what most theologians have come up with, is that we know that there was other gods at that time being worshipped. We know that it was common practice for them to use children's sacrifice, cruel things and stuff like that. So the idea is that God was contrasting himself to these other gods. And then at the last moment saying, I'm actually not like these brutal gods that are asking you to do these horrible things. I would never do that. In fact, I've already got a ram over there. 
Let's sacrifice that. Instead. Just curious. Do we know if Isaac did his chores that day? Do we also know if Abraham had a second guess when he got to the top of the mountain? And by the time he came back, he was like, Jesus told me to. I don't know what to tell you. So as far as I understand it, I'm just kidding, Abraham guys. had no hesitation. Uh, scripture not only says that. That's nerve wracking. Right. Uh, and, and this is why Abraham is called the father of faith. Yeah. Okay. Because he didn't hesitate. So let me read Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 real quick. And this sheds a little light. By the way, I am in Hebrews big time right now. Like it's probably becoming my favorite book. Really? I'm so much into it. But anyway. Uh, a lot of so history for me. It is. It's really good. So Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, uh, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And the one who had received the promise uh, was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it said, through Isaac, your descendant shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him uh, back as a type and shadow. So, okay, here. So Hebrews is shining a little bit bigger of a light here. God had already promised before this scene that he was going to create multiple descendants through Isaac. And then he asked Abraham to kill Isaac. Hmm. Has God changed his mind at any point? No. This th- what God is not changing his mind here. So no, no, I, no. But has he contradicted himself to this point where Abraham is like, well, no. I mean, as far as Abraham knows, God is God, and he's going to. So I love what Paul says here. He says Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. So Abraham's literally <laughs> thinking, thinking, well, if I got to kill Isaac, I know God can raise him from the dead anyway, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> like it's yeah. That's where Abraham's faith was. Right. Uh, that's, man, Paul in Hebrews is clutch. Anyway. That's huge. It's huge. So he So and what happens directly after that scene is God gives Abraham the full promise. I'm going to, uh, you're going to have descendants as many as the sand and the sea. Oh, and the he stars reveals and the... it all to him. Boom. Here's yeah. the, what, okay. what we would now call the Abrahamic covenant. Right, right, the right. The big one happened right after that. So this was his God moment. Boom. Here it is. So Abraham displays faith. God gives him everything he could ever want for and ask for. I'm just glad that he didn't have to walk through the resurrection thing because I feel like zombie Isaac probably wouldn't have been as cool as <laughs> I just love that Isaac. Paul says that Abraham considered like, oh. that he could raise people from the dead. So like that was his logic. Well, if I got to kill him, he's just going to raise him anyway. But, I mean, okay, because... put yourself in his feet, in his place. Like you follow him no matter what. You trust everything he said. You know his word's going to come to fruition. So there has to be a reasonable explanation sure. in your mind for what well, you know to be true. And, and I, I love think... I love that Abraham's logic didn't say, well, maybe God changed his mind. Abraham, no, it's like, he's like, no, okay, no, no. We're so going to go through with it. Yeah, yeah. he'll just raise him from yeah, the yeah, dead. Yeah, it'll that's be fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, My wife will never know. It's fine. <laughs> like, I love. That's just where Abraham's head was. For whatever yeah. reason. And I need this to is... shake Abraham's hand when I get to heaven. Jesus, can you remind me? Thanks. But this is why we call Abraham the father of faith. Now, yeah. just a quick liner note. I didn't say this in the video. Um, it said that during that time, there was no law. This is pre-Moses, right? So there is no law. Um, so because there was no law, contractual agreement between God and man, there was no way man could hold up his end of the bargain, right? That makes there sense. There was no bargain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's in Romans. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. It says that Abraham had righteousness credited to him. No, I'm sorry. Backwards. Abraham had faith credited to him as righteousness. So because his faith was so large, he 
became righteous through that. Credited to him. So basically, if you lived in the Mosaic time and you never broke any of the laws, which no one ever did, exactly, you would have perfect righteousness, perfect right standing with God. Yeah. It says that Abraham's faith was credited to him as that righteousness. So Abraham operating in faith was as good as you never breaking a Mosaic law. That's how big of a deal it was to God. So restarting that to his own atonement. No. Well, yeah, because because okay. really what we're seeing here. So what what happens afterwards, the Abrahamic covenant is the covenant and saying, I am going to create a nation of people. The, so the seed of Abraham would later turn yeah. into all the yeah, Jewish yeah, yeah, Israelites. Yeah, yeah. I am going to create a nation of people with the sole purpose of I want to get back in relationship with them. Right. So here's where you have the atonement. Here's where you have the reconciling happening. You have God attempting to bring the two parties, himself and humanity, back together. <laughs>